<sighs> okay, here we go. A few months ago, I had the honor of being a guest on the L. Russ Show. Now, you may know her from the Primal Blueprint podcast formerly. I've known Elle for a while now, and it was really fun to catch up with her, and you know what? I enjoy Elle's interview style and also her perspective on life so much that I decided to share part of that interview anyway with you here on my very own podcast in this very episode. But here is a little language warning. We do drop the F-bomb three, maybe four times in reference to Elle's book that's called Confident as F. So if you're someone, or if you're near someone, who's really put off by that word, well, you've been warned. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. My name is Brock Armstrong. But before we get started... As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But if you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. Now, just to set the stage a little bit before I play the interview for you, L. Russ is a best-selling author, a screenwriter, a seasoned public speaker, and has been interviewed on over 50 shows and featured in publications like Success Magazine, Huffington Post, Prevention, and Mind Body Green. L. coaches ambitious high achievers and transformation seekers to manifest more confidence and more self-esteem in all areas of their lives creating boundaries, generating fun, accomplishing goals, and improving communication. And if you want to find out more about L, you can simply go to lrus.com. That's E-L-L-E-R-U-S-S dot com. But here we go. Take it away, L. Hey, everyone. Today, my guest is Brock Armstrong. I don't even know where to begin. He is so decorated with so many things in the health, wellness, fitness, mindset movement. He has worked with Mark Sisson, Dave Asprey, Ben Greenfield, Mark Devine, as well as coaching programs and more. Welcome to the show, Brock. Thanks, Elle. It's awesome to be here. And, and I know it's hard to, to pin me down. You know, I'm one of those people that I always tell this story like one day, probably 10 years ago, walking down the street, more than full-time employed, I should add at this point, walking down the street, saw a wanted ad, like a, a, a job ad in the window of my favorite bike shop. They're looking for a mechanic. And I was like, Ooh, should I apply? <laughs> like, that's always my default setting is like, that sounds awesome. I want to do that. 
So yeah, I've been a ballet dancer. I've been a musician. I've been an actor. I've been a desk worker at the government. I've been a web developer. I've been an audio engineer. And yeah, it's sort of all culminated now really in being a podcaster and an educator. So it's uh, it has come to some sort of a head at this point, but it's a meandering course and you're you're also meandering, so I know you. You understand. I'm right there with you. Yeah, we yeah. we we just we followed what we loved, and we just kept going, which I think is a great example to the audience as well. Um, I, I believe you would say, and we can get into some details in a minute, but some of your endeavors led to other endeavors you could not have imagined had you not chosen that first thing, right? So, um, and and that starts even with me working for Mark Sisson. And when I first met you and you worked with us at Primal Blueprint, and then you moved on and you uh, engineered Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio, you've always sort of been around the health industry, not only as an expert, but as someone who's helping other experts achieve their goals like mine. You, for the audience, Brock did my my audiobook and the intros to the podcast and things like that. You've engineered many of our audiobooks over the years, but let's talk about you. I want to talk about your fitness journey. And we know where you are now, and we're going to get into the meat of that. How did you start? Were you always athletic? Were you always interested in this? I, you know, I always was very active, just a, just an active kid, always on my bike, always running around. Um, I was in dance lessons, piano lessons, like every kind of lesson you could possibly be in swimming lessons, everything as a, as a kid. So movement was always part of my life. And, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I had, I grew up in a time in, especially in, in sort of Northern Canada where it was that good old 70s parenting where it's like, okay, go outside and play kids. And we don't want to see you until dinner time yep. kind of a thing. So I, I feel very grateful to have been born in a time when that was sort of the norm. That was absolutely like the way that we were raised was given our autonomy to just go and explore the world and explore our capabilities, develop the confidence and and self-reliance that I, uh, yeah, that's really served us well, I think as a generation, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm nostalgic for, for those days and those times and feel very lucky. We grew up then because God knows what would have happened if there was like social media back then I'd probably be deleting, you know, right. <laughs> who knows? I'm so glad I didn't have to grow up with that, but you know, now on the heels of you, uh, turning 50 this year and you saying mm-hmm. how excited you are yeah, to turn 50. And by the way, uh, take a look audience at what Brock looks like. Cause that's the poster child for what 50 should be. And, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I've been around, a bunch of you guys for a while, like Marxists and Brad Kearns, right? You guys are the epitome of what, you know, I want to be what I wanted to be, what people can be at a certain age. And it's never really too late. Let's talk a little bit about your journey with coaching, because you've been coaching people forever in terms of movement, wellness, health, and even mindset. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about, you know, where that started and how that's evolved. Yeah, definitely. I have. Uh, I I really love coaching. It it is a great passion of mine, and something that I, I actually just sort of fell into because of some health issues. So I'm going to take a I'm going to take a step back and go back way back to the early 2000s when I was working for the government, and I was you know having that good old desk job 
sitting all day, <laughs> probably eating out more than I should, probably drinking a little more alcohol than I probably should, not necessarily not necessarily sucking the marrow from life. It's hard to do that <laughs> when you're um, when you're sitting at a desk typing all day. Um, but the good thing was, I'm going to put those in big air quotes, was that at a certain point, through no fault of my own, this wasn't uh, this wasn't a lifestyle issue, but I, I got an infection in my pericardium, so the the sac that goes around the heart that sort of holds your your heart in, and the myocardium it, they don't really differentiate. So I had pericarditis or myocarditis. How does Maybe this happen, and what are the uh, symptoms you experienced to even know something was off? Uh, well, <laughs> there was no missing the symptoms. How it happens is basically bad luck. It's very similar to the way we get a throat infection or a sinus infection or okay. anything like that. It just the bug happened to decide to just take up residence in that part of my body could have very easily gone somewhere else, but it ended up in, in my heart. And the, the son symptom, of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I said, like it wasn't a, luckily I did have a reasonably, like I know I painted a bit of a grim picture there talking about uh, being sedentary and drinking too much and eating out too much and stuff like that. But I still was pretty darn healthy. Thank goodness, because it did help me recover eventually from, from this and not suffer too much again, big air quotes. But the symptoms were extraordinarily hard to miss. Like basically I was, I had a, to not be too gross, I had diarrhea and vomiting for a couple of days, feeling really crappy. And then basically at four o'clock in the morning, I think it was on the third day of this, what seemed like a stomach bug, I felt like a elephant was standing on my chest. I couldn't catch my breath. I was sweating. I basically just felt like, yeah, like my, like my chest was imploding on itself. So I did what any reasonable person would do, which is phone my sister <laughs> and say, I don't know what's going on. Can you come and get me and take me to the hospital? And this is like four in the morning and she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I have to be at work though. So just give me a bit. So like not to be, I'm not blaming my sister, but she took a couple hours. She showed up at my doorstep, like, full face of makeup, hair done, all ready to go to work and stuff. Cause she figured I'm going to drop, she's going to drop me off at the hospital and then go to work. So by that time I'd taken a gravel and was feeling a little bit better and, and said, Oh, you know, I don't think I really need to go to the hospital after all. And she was like, no, I got up and came here. I'm taking you to the damn hospital. So we go to the hospital, go to the emergency room. They, uh, see, a, a person in clear cardiac distress, ran the blood tests and stuff and told me like point blank, you've had a heart attack. We're taking you to give you an angiogram. And, and I was like, no, no, I haven't had a heart attack. What are you talking about? I've just got a stomach bug. And they're like, nope, you've had a heart attack. We're taking you for an angiogram, sign this piece of paper. And I'm I was like, what if I say no? And they, well, we'll convince you to say yes, because you need an angiogram. You've had a heart attack. Here we go. They were wrong. I hadn't had a, a heart attack. I had there was no blockage or anything like that. It was just like a like I said, I had that infection. So basically, my heart was getting squished by itself and by the pericardium. So so uh, yeah, for the next, I had what was referred to as recurrent per pericarditis, which means I had it several times over the next eighteen months, hmm. and ended up back in the hospital a couple of times. Spent five or six days in the cardiac unit. 
not allowed to get out of bed, just like that kind of thing. And, and eventually, luckily, I recovered. But in the meantime, developed a hell of a generalized anxiety disorder, especially around health-related matters. So um, even though my heart was healthy again, and I had actually escaped with no damage, no lasting um, repercussions from it, I still had this anxiety. And I kept going back to my cardiologist saying like, look, there's, there's something wrong. It's still there. And, and he's saying, look, it's not, you're really okay. And then flippantly, my cardiologist said to me, you know, what you need to do is run a marathon or something like that to prove to yourself that you're okay. And I was like, Oh, run marathon equals feeling okay. All right. So I signed up for You're like, marathon. I have some experience there. Watch me. I'm going to go rack one up right now. You know, at that point I had never done a race. I, oh, I had been a, a professional dancer and a, been an avid bike rider and, and stuff, but I'd never actually done a race. So that was my, that was the beginning of my endurance athletic career. So, so do you keep doing the endurance uh, things just to keep proving to yourself? Is that what keeps you up with the anxiety? <laughs> just every time you get anxious, you're like, I've got to sign up for another triathlon. Yeah. You know what? It works. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, no, that's great. That must've been really scary. I can imagine too. It's your heart. You yeah. know, it's just like your heart or your brain, forget it. That's like, you know, anything you feel, right. You have a slight headache. You're going to be like, Oh my God, the tumor's back or right. Or, or you're yeah. having anxiety, which uh, as you described, when you were having the issues with the condition, kind of mimic uh, what an anxiety attack feels like, right? That right. heaviness on the chest. So I can totally understand like the PTSD from that, you know, event over months of then coming back and being like, oh, is that it? When you're just having some anxiety. Um, right. After you proved it to yourself after that first race, did you feel, <laughs> did you finally feel a little bit better? You know, it, uh, it helped. It definitely helped. And and it started me on a road to a much healthier version of myself. And, and that's really what got me interested in, in working with and, and, and following people like Mark Sisson and Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey. And I, I started seeking out these people and, and places of knowledge to, to actually figure out how to ensure that something like that doesn't happen again. Of course, there's like bad luck is always a factor, but just trying to stack the the deck in my favor. And luckily I had the uh I had the skill set to be able to to actually make a living at the same time as learning from all these people. So I was I was very lucky with that. But it really did my anxiety and and all of the the issues that came from having that, uh, that illness didn't really resolve until I discovered something called cognitive behavior th therapy or, or theory. And I was can very you, lucky. Can my, you share with us a little bit about for the people that don't know, like, what is that and how might it different than other modes of therapy? Yeah. And, you know, I tried many modes of therapy before, um, my doctor finally sent me to a CBT, um, practitioner and I tried the hypnotherapy. I tried, um, I tried just as a regular talk therapy and, and a lot of them helped a lot. They definitely got me on the, on the road to, to recovery, but then cognitive behavior therapy really, it resonated so well with me because it doesn't place the blame on, you don't have to relive trauma from, from your childhood. You don't need to, to think about 
when did my mother do me wrong? And unfortunately, I think the mothers get blamed an awful lot for a lot of things. <laughs> but cognitive behavior therapy and cognitive behavior theory is really addressing your own belief system and realizing that you are in control of the way that you react, the way that you view, the way that you see the world, and gives you the ability to look at those reactions and decide whether or not they're still serving you. Because many of the beliefs and many of the reactions that we have to the world around us maybe were based on something that happened in our past, maybe a belief that were passed on to us from a caregiver of some sort, an alloparent or a parent. And it probably had a, a good goal at some point in your life, but later on in life, if we're still hanging on to those and those reactions aren't serving us any longer, then we sometimes feel like we're just locked in. Like you hear people say like, oh, well, it's just the way I was raised. Well, okay. Oh, you, can, oh. you, can be, you can be raised that way, but you can still change it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough one for me. And I want to interject and just say, sure. I want to highlight that because this happens so much of the time. And it, 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 you know, in my book, Confident as Fuck, I talk about this, which is like, you have to parent yourself. If you're in a point where you are aware that you weren't brought the greatest parents or childhood, then you're really letting their stories of you, their treatment of you win instead of taking control and going, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to parent myself now. That's really all we can do. Um, but yes, I've, there's been so many people. I had a client who, you know, over 50, who let's say you made a comment, their response would be something like, well, yeah, because you were raised differently than me. You see, I was, and it would be like, ah, yeah. you know, record scratch. Okay. Cut that off. Again, it's the story of continually imprinting what they kind of imprinted in you. It's adopting the story of them for ourselves. And so many of our beliefs come from places like this. It's true. It, they really, really do. And it doesn't have to be something as it doesn't have to be bad parenting either. I think a lot of the time sure. we we tend to only think that these things are a problem if they were something that was harmful or something that was hurtful in our in our past. But like I said, most of the time or a lot of the time, it can be something that did serve a purpose and kept us safe when we were children, when we were teens, like even maybe early 20s. But that doesn't mean that it's still has to be in place now if it has stopped, if it has served its purpose and we've moved on to a different part of our life, being able to recognize those feelings and those reactions to certain circumstances, to the way that we're treated, to the way that a car cuts us off in traffic and how we mm -hmm. react to it. We can take a moment and say, wait a second, why did I react that way? And in the end, it's like, well, it doesn't really even matter why I reacted that way. I don't want to react that way anymore. So how else can I view this situation in order to make it actually not trigger me? You tell a great story in, in your book, Confident as Fuck, about um, the deciding that the cyclists on the road weren't actually idiots <laughs> because it wasn't serving you to to stir up vitriol against these people who are just cycling. I would have been that person cycling. Oh, no, you and Brad would have been, I would have like just absolutely been, you know, steaming in my car. You guys rolling by on your bikes. <laughs> as much as I hate to interrupt the conversation, we have to take a minute to go and pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. 
If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So some people think of, right, like, oh, you have to have some big trauma or then mm-hmm. you're you're kind of dispelling that myth. You don't have to. There are still certain things. I like that you brought up the car. So once I learned about cortisol and how it affects us and all of the things that you already know, I started to realize that, so let's say someone cuts you off on the road and you have that initial surge, right? Of course, all adrenaline, you're like, oh, your heart's pumping. You just feel like, oh, you almost near miss died, that kind of moment. And we all have those moments. It's just in that moment, I start. I started to, after I learned what, what we know is, okay, hold on a second, breathe it out. Because if I don't get out of this feeling right now, which is a flight, you know, fear and the fear is not real. The car's already passed. I'm still on the road. Nothing happened. I'm breathing it out because I know that cortisol is going to surge for like another 15 minutes or longer. If I were to pick up the phone, oh my God, some jerk just cut me off or continued in the anger or weirdness or fear that was generated by this event that is now over. And so even those small moments, uh, everyone listening, when you notice, and how do you know? Because it doesn't feel good. Your heart's racing, something's off. You know, and unless there's a clear and present danger at that moment, usually they are just the near misses of life, like the car going by. But those are moments that could affect our health negatively if we let our mind uh, roll. Absolutely, yeah, you, you, that very well said. We we're also a, a species that loves to relive and re <laughs> refeel things over and over again. And like you said, like you could take that moment that you were driving in the car and you were cut off and then tell somebody about it on the phone, tell somebody about it at work and and then relive it again. And, and these things just, it ends up really affecting our health in such a negative way. And we, and we get addicted to those feelings too. I was recently, I'm sorry, mom, I'm going to pick on you here, but it's really, I'm picking on, on news, um, television news. My mom is one of those people. She has a TV in her bedroom and I was visiting her for, for the last week or so. And every morning I'd come upstairs and do my movement routine and be making my coffee. And I can hear the TV in her bedroom telling the same bad news basically every 15 minutes they said they went through the same six bad news stories ad nauseum and it was exactly the same script exactly the same information no new information no no indication of how you could help this situation or how you could change it or whether it affects your life it's just here are six terrible things that are happening in the world right now and we're going to repeat them over and over again every 10 minutes for the next two hours and somehow we get addicted to that and we start to do it to ourselves replaying our own bad news stories over and over again and and this is uh, we've sort of deviated a little bit from cognitive behavior theory, but being able to recognize that kind of stuff and being able to recognize how it makes us feel and how it's not helpful, and then reprogram. And basically, the reprogramming that I wanted my mom to do was to turn off the TV. 
Yeah, our mutual friend, Alessandra Wall, Dr. Alessandra Wall, had this great phrase that she shared with me a little while ago that was, check in with yourself before you check in with the world. And I just, I think if we all started doing that a little bit more in the mornings, especially like when we wake up, spend some time checking in with yourself before you worry about checking in with the world, we might be able to, to handle those sort of situations a little bit better. But anyway, now, now I'm just picking on TV news and, and my mom, sorry, mom. We really do as a species, and, and this always comes up when, when we're, even when we're talking about finances, people tend to relive or, or remember the, the stock market crashes or the big times that we've lost a, a bunch of money. We don't necessarily focus on the times that we've actually been doing just fine because it's not exciting and it's not, it doesn't kick off that, that cascade of hormones in our bodies. And I guess the going back to your original question about how this, how I sort of have incorporated this into, into my coaching is that, you know, I spent years when I first got certified as a marathon and triathlon coach and, and started working with people, it became quite apparent to me quite quickly that there were a few people who, who hired me that were very talented athletes who were really focused on just being the best triathlete or the best cyclist or, or whatever they were focused on, the best that they could possibly be. But the vast majority of people who came to me and said, I want to do a marathon or I want to do a triathlon, I want to do an ultra race. Their goal was they wanted to do this race, absolutely. But underlying all of that was this desire to really just feel better about themselves. A lot of the time it had something to do with weight loss or it had something to do with confidence or, or self-worth, self-esteem. And, you know, I would do my, my due diligence as a marathon or triathlon coach and give them all of the, the meal plans and give them the workout plans and get them across that finish line. And they did cross that finish line. I never had anyone fall apart and miss their their goal race. But the problem was at the end of that endeavor, there was still that hole. There was still that emptiness or there was still that desire, or maybe they lost some weight while they were doing the marathon or training for the marathon. And then they'd gain it back as soon as there wasn't a, a marathon. So they'd come back to me again and say, Hey, you know, I really want to sign up for the, this next race. And one, once I realized like yo-yo you know, marathoning instead of, <laughs> yes, it's a very extreme form of yo-yo dieting, <laughs> but I found myself getting incredibly frustrated trying to work with these people or trying to actually help them because I actually heard myself saying the words on a number of occasions. You don't need another race. What you need to do is reset your relationship with food and movement. Because it was so, the their relationship with food and movement was so broken that they thought they had to sign up for something as extreme as a marathon or ultra marathon or Ironman or something in order to control their diet and control their movement. And without that, they would completely fall apart. And, and I don't think this is an unusual story. No. So once I realized that and I got so frustrated not being able to really help people reset that relationship with food and movement. I actually recently became a a certified practitioner of cognitive behavior theory, and I've started developing programs that are very specifically 
there to address that. And I've actually stopped coaching. I, if somebody really wanted me to, I would still coach them for a marathon or a triathlon, but I haven't actually in years, I've just taken on the role of being somebody who, and this is sort of my catchphrase and I'll, I'll give Katie Bowman full credit for inspiring this catchphrase, but my whole goal in life is to help people move more of their body more often in more and more interesting ways not run a race, not do anything extreme because that's, I mean, those are fun. Those are really fun goals. I still do races because I really enjoy the, the, the racing aspect, but I know that's not how I'm going to make myself more healthy or how I'm going to achieve happiness and self-esteem and a, a healthy body composition and a healthy mind body connection and all of that kind of stuff that really does have an impact on our entire life rather than just other than just checking something off of a, a bucket list. So that is that sort of where I, how I've come full circle from having a, a, an inflamed pericardium to being the, the coach I am today. You know, it reminds me of a story I heard from a friend who went out on a date with a woman who was beautiful and fit and um, seemingly wonderful. And they go out on a date and she's drinking a lot. And he's like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe she's a lush, maybe she's a drunk. <laughs> and uh, after uh, she wasn't eating that much, and then after too much wine, and, you know, thank God she was in the care of my friend who's a sweet guy, she just starts bawling, crying. And she lifts up her shirt and shows her scars from her stomach, you know, stapling surgery or whatever mm -hmm. they call it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, she was still the fat, ashamed person on the inside, right? You can go to that great length and lose all that weight and look the pillar of, I mean, you would never have known that she was once obese, um, but wow, in her mind, she still was, you know, it was still yeah. trauma from that which is just exemplifies what you're talking about. And then I also wonder too, you know, I see people train for triathlons all the time. So I'm a swimmer and I can always tell when there's a triathlon yeah. person, the they're always we struggling with known, the swimming. Really. <laughs> yeah. They're always terrible at swimming. And I'm always like, Hey, do you need a tip? Are you training for triathlon? They're like, how do you know? It's <laughs> like, everyone's a weakest sport usually. Um, but what I wonder sometimes is I I've talked to some people who've done triathlons and I, I know like you love it for the race aspect, but there is this part of me that questions are, are a lot of people in this just for the ego of it, you know, for, and not that there's anything totally wrong with that, but again, it kind of goes back to a little bit of what you're saying, like, what's your goal with this, you know, and maybe the goal needs to be refined or sharpened up in some way that is healthier. There's a really interesting question that we kind of forget to ask ourselves sometimes when we're when we're coming up with these drastic solutions like when somebody right. decides they want to do an ironman race or they decide they they're going to give up they're going to go keto or like and there's nothing wrong with doing an ironman there's nothing wrong with being keto but when we're coming up with these solutions i like to ask people what problem are you trying to solve mm. Because a lot of the time, the problem that we're actually trying to solve or the, the, the root cause of what's making us or, or, or spurring us on to do these extreme things isn't what we think it is. And then the next question after the what problem are you trying to solve is, and this is a, a, a common practice in cognitive behavior theory, is to ask five whys. And so you ask the you ask yourself or the, or the person why and you you need to do this at least 5 times sometimes it takes more to really get to that root so so let's say 
there's that that person in the swim lane next to you who's decided they want to do an Ironman and you say, oh, okay, so you want to do an Ironman. So what what problem are you trying to solve with this with this race? And I say, oh, well, I, I really, I really want to just knock this off my my bucket list. This is something I've always dreamed of doing. And like, oh, well, why is that? And they said, well, you know, it's a it's a monumental achievement. It'll it'll show that I'm dedicated to to an endeavor and that I follow through on it, no matter how hard it is. I, oh, well, why is that important to you? Well, because it'll it it shows that I'm the kind of person who who sticks to things. Oh, well, why is that important to you? And you can see you just each one of the whys yeah. digs a little bit deeper and gets a little bit deeper. And then in the, at the end, maybe by the fifth why, the reason is I, I don't have self-confidence. I really want mm-hmm. to, I want to feel more confident in my own abilities. And it's like, okay, well, that is a really great endeavor. Is doing an Ironman triathlon really <laughs> Do you the need the Ironman? to achieve that? <laughs> yeah. It's probably not the greatest way to to achieve that. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who finished those kinds of races and still have that underlying problem because it's not actually addressing the issue. So, yeah, it's so the same I, for any addiction, really, isn't it? Any anything or uh, in terms of, you know, you can stop drinking, but are you dealing with the behavior and the issues in your life that led you to maybe being an alcoholic or right? Like again, getting to the core root of, as we do in health as well, in functional medicine, which is really important. Let's get to the root of it because maybe from there, maybe you can save yourself from an Ironman. Right. That's how I, I hate running. Or do it because so you I, really want to, you do it for fun, not that's for, right. not out of desperation. Yeah. yeah it, and it's funny because I think too, especially in the health space, when you've been suffering also with a health issue for a while, again, it could be likened to the example I gave of the woman who had her stomach stapled and was still sort of in the fat mindset of all of that. Um, the same thing happens with health. You've been sick for so long. You almost don't know what good feels like. You start to blame your body, which as you and I know, your body's always trying to save you at every minute and you start to treat it like an enemy. And those are the kind of things that get imprinted, you know, in your psyche when you're struggling sometimes, unless you're really addressing the mindset. And then afterwards, of course, also addressing it too and making peace with it because yeah, you can take a thyroid hormone and get better and you can exercise and lose weight, but again, it's not really getting in there. So aside from wayless.life for your awesome program and others that you have, how else can we connect with you? Tell us your personal website so that we can also learn more about you. And of course, we'll put everything in the show notes. Yeah, it's super easy. Brock Armstrong, B-R-O-C-K Armstrong, um, no relation to Lance.com, so BrockArmstrong.com. Although, you know what? I would be okay with being related to Lance. Would you really though? Would you I, though? After all of his BS with the doping and the whole nightmare? <laughs> I think he probably, I think we could do some work. Lance, if you're listening. I need some of your coaching on the non-health side of things. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'd rather be related to Louie. That would have been way cooler. Or yeah. Neil, for that matter. I was going to say, Neil would have been <laughs> maybe the one. <laughs> but yeah, BrockArmstrong.com. That's where I have links to my Scientific American articles, my Change Academy podcast, which we didn't even mention, but there's a lot. I'm going to throw a lot of stuff out there. So just BrockArmstrong.com is the hub for everything. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And is there anything uh, lasting words you'd like to leave with our audience? No, I think the like what we discussed earlier, remembering to ask yourself some questions and challenge your own beliefs 
because you can change them. It doesn't matter how ingrained you think your beliefs are. You have the power to change them and it can really make a difference in your life. So just take that time, make the effort and it will, uh, it'll help. I promise. Yeah. So thank you so much for all of your work. Um, and just for being literally one of the most wonderful people in the health industry that I've met over no. the past decade, uh, always, I mean, just amazing. And thank you so much again. And we will put everything to connect with you in the show notes and for everyone else, we'll see you next week. All right. I want to thank Elle one more time for allowing me to play that portion of our interview here on the Second Wind Fitness Podcast and encourage you once again to go to lruss.com to check out everything that she does. She's a really interesting person, a great coach, and I know you'll get a lot of value from visiting her website, lruss.com. Now, get out there and move more of your body more often in more and more interesting ways. I'm Brock Armstrong. Thanks for listening to Second Wind Fitness.